Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey there, good morning, and welcome to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield. What a somber day for our country. Yesterday, a violent mob storming Capitol Hill. They were upset about Donald Trump and the president and his loss to Joe Biden, who was formally certified as the victor by Congress yesterday, last night, late in the evening. These, these violent protesters, they disrupted the process of certification for Joe Biden, yet after several hours of chaos and violence, where sadly a Capitol Hill police officer reportedly shot and killed a young woman who reportedly was an Air Force veteran, Congress resumed and did formally certify Joe Biden as president-elect. Now, early this morning, President Trump issued a statement through Dan Scavino, his statement. Uh, he said that he would acknowledge that, well, this is the statement, I'll just read it directly. He said, even though I totally disagree with the outcome of the election and the facts bear me out, nevertheless, there will be an orderly transition on January 20th. I've always said that we would continue our fight to ensure that only legal votes were counted. While this represents the end of the greatest first term in presidential history, it's only the beginning of our fight to make America grin again. So this is the first time that we see President Trump acknowledging that his presidency will be ending on January 20th. The acknowledgement here was obviously very bitter and hard fought for Donald Trump. And even after the violent mob had been on Capitol Hill, you did have some senators, including Josh Hawley, who said that they would continue to indeed uh, uh, protest and, and call for investigations into election ir irregularities. Now, there's a big debate, and we're going to get more into it into this program with uh, former NYPD Commissioner Bernie Carrick, for example, and another security expert about how exactly did this happen? Was it spontaneous or was it planned? What were the failures here that happened on the part of Capitol Hill Police and the District of Columbia Police? How were these protesters, which then turned into a violent mob, able to destroy federal property, break windows, and then breach the Capitol and flood inside and basically desecrate uh, a, a very uh, important building, a sacred building, if you will, in our country's foundation here. Joining me on set is Brent Benjamin Burkwan. He is a contributor here at Romero America's Voice, and he was there. Ben, walk us through, how did this happen? Well, uh, you know, it's interesting. The day started off beautiful. We were down there before the sun rose, uh, hundreds of thousands of people on the mall for, to rally for President Trump on the ellipse between the White House and the Washington Monument. And there is, there's really a sense in our country of betrayal by most politicians. Um, and that's why President Trump gets so much support. People love him because of his non, uh, he's not a politician. He says what he believes and he does what he says and, and people believe, Trump supporters believe he puts America first. 
What happened at the Capitol, I, I believe, is a combination of a couple things. Uh, one is just total frustration by some people that, that believe that there is not equal justice under the law anymore. You, you see what happened with BLM and Antifa, the riots that destroyed cities across our country over the last year. Um, you see what's happening with business owners, with COVID and the restrictions and churches and you know strip clubs being able to stay open, but churches being shut down. And I think there is a legitimate anger in our country against politicians. Uh, sure, but Ben, if there's legitimate anger, what happened yesterday was, I don't think anyone would say that that's legitimate. Right. So that, that, that is really what it comes down to is, what do we do with that anger? You know, in the Bible it says, uh, in your anger do not sin. And so there is, a, there, is a, there is righteous anger, and there are times to storm the, 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 the barricades, and there are times to go to war, and there are times to do those things. Um, the question is, what happened yesterday? Who led it? What was the intention? Who, you know, what, what was the purpose behind it? Um, and did you get any of that stuff? And so I was, you know, I wasn't in the building. I wasn't, I was uh, down below, you know, watching what was going on up top. And I don't know who, who initially led it. I do know that there were multiple sets of barricades that the uh, police ended up letting people through in kind of a weird funneling system where, you know, there were small groups of people that were let in and they all went rushing up to the next one and then they're, uh, in interviewing people, they said, you know, they were there to be peaceful, they just wanted to be heard and then they started getting sprayed with, uh, with tear gas. I don't know. I don't know, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't there at the door when they ripped the, the door off the hinges. I, you know, obviously going in and just, there, there, there seemed to be no plan though. Like when they got in the building, you had a bunch of people then all of a sudden say, holy cow, we're in this building, what do we do now? Um, and so it just seemed like, I don't know, just it wasn't organized, it wasn't planned, it was kind of spontaneous. You had some folks out of the 100,000 plus, multiple 100,000 people out there, small group of people that decided to, to take action and then realized what do we do now? And uh, unfortunately, uh, at least one life has been lost. Um, I've heard you know, mixed reports on others. Right, the other three lives reportedly were due to medical conditions and some sort of medical uh, response was needed, but uh, ultimately that had to do with pre-existing conditions. That's the reports that I've heard so yeah. far. But as far as, uh, again, this, this anger that uh, was pushed forward, what do you think that the the president could have done to prevent this? Do you think if he had been in his speech more proactive to say, because he, he said, we're going to the Capitol, he encouraged people to march, was there something more that the president could have done? I don't think so. I think President Trump, uh, the, 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 regardless, I think if, if President Trump were to have done any of that, if he would have said, I concede to Joe Biden uh, early and, you know, and given up, I think the, the people would have been just as angry at him as they are at Congress and as they are at the mainstream media. I think President Trump uh, is the best leader at, at the resetting of American uh, greatness and, and all of the things that we've seen. But I think there is a contingent of people that are so upset that it doesn't matter what President Trump says, they are gonna do. In fact, they don't think President Trump is saying enough. They're, you know, the people that were at the front of that line yesterday, you know, I've heard a lot of them, they, they want, uh, you know, they believe that Antifa's out there starting a civil war and there are people that uh, think that that is the, the right next step. I, I disagree with them, I pray that's not the case, I pray that we don't head down that road. But there, there is just so much, I, I, I'll be honest, I don't know the answer to the question of where we're at right now because we're so divided, our, our, we're so politically divided. I do know one thing though, our country needs the Lord. We need to, 
have uh, a reset of the foundation of what this country was built on, and President Trump was resetting that, you know, God, family, right. country. Ben, we got to leave it right there. Thank you so much. Thank you, Carrie. Stay with us. We'll be right back with the former NYPD commissioner on what happened. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Good morning and welcome back to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield here on this somber day in our nation's history. Joining me is the former NYPD Commissioner Bernie Carrick. He's an expert on security to walk through how this happened. Bernie, this seemed like a failure on multiple levels. The Capitol Hill Police, the District of Columbia Police, and even the FBI, the federal officials are just those who knew that this was coming, that there were reports that agitators maybe far-right agitators and far-left agitators were going to be involved here. How did this failure happen that people were able to breach the Capitol? It was a scene that looked like it was a banana republic. Well, keep in mind, Carrie, uh, there's two things that happened. Um, one, the Capitol Police did, in fact, open up the gates and let people into the Capitol. There's a number of videos online that I've already seen where they did that. Um, why they did it, especially on that day, um, when the uh, the process was going on, I don't know, um, but there are videos where the Capitol Police opened up certain sections to let people into the building. Um, there was definitely a contingent of people that breached security in other areas, and I have to tell you, you know, I, I was out there at the rally with the president, and there was close to probably a million people there. I didn't see anybody at that rally with plates, armor plates on helmets, knee pads, but when you look at the videos of the people that got into the building, that breached the building, uh, you see that. You see those types of people. Uh, I just, I have a hard time believing those are, those are Trump supporters. Those are people that came from that rally. So I think there has to be a thorough investigation. I think charges have to be made. I know the FBI is trying to identify certain players within the building. There were a number of scenes that I saw personally where cops were being attacked. The inside Capitol Police were being attacked. There was a scene where uh, a number of people was chasing a cop, uh, a Capitol Police officer up the stairs. Um, these people have to be identified. They have to be charged with a crime because during the course of this, there was a young woman that was shot and killed during the course of this engagement of, of violence. And, uh, and, and they have to be held accountable. So why would the Capitol Police, on one hand, open the barricades and allow people to walk through and basically, in some ways, escort them through? But then, as you mentioned, this young woman was shot, reportedly by a Capitol Hill police officer. Why was it so chaotic? Why was there no leadership here to say, this is the plan, this is the consistent way to handle what's happening? You know, look, I, I hate to Monday morning quarterback these things because, uh, you know, I, I don't have all the details. Um, the Capitol Police, the Washington, D.C. Police, they deal with protests just about as much as New York City does on a daily basis. They're extremely good at it. Um, 
Why the why the opening of the building? Can't tell you. I don't know. I think it was a bad move. Um, but the breach itself, um, it looks like they just weren't prepared. Um, and, and somebody's going to have to deal with that down the road. But I think for now, the most important thing is to identify the people that engaged in violence, that attacked the police officers, that assaulted police officers. Um, you know, there, there's a picture, um, I, I think, in the New York Post today of one of the agitators in a, in a uh, camouflage outfit carrying uh, flex cuffs. Um, you know, why would, why would uh, a Trump supporter, why would anybody, why would anybody not law enforcement have those flex cuffs? Um, there were agitators that came from the outside. They have to be found and they have to be prosecuted. And you put out a tweet with a link to a video. You said President Donald Trump's supporters pulling Antifa terrorists away from the building. There's plenty of these videos. Why isn't the mainstream media reporting? How are you certain, because you said that you don't have all the information, that these were, quote, Antifa terrorists? What evidence, or have you heard from your contacts in the security community that this was Antifa terrorism? Well, you have people that were out there that are saying there were Antifa in the crowd. And in that video specifically, you could hear them. You could see the guy trying to break the windows and people jump him from behind and pull him away from the building. Um, and that's not the only video. There's a bunch of them. So I think these are the videos that's going to be used by the police, by the FBI, to make a determination who these people are and identify. And keep in mind, these types of events, whether it's June in Arizona last year or, you know, some other events in Washington, D.C., the intelligence division of the Washington, D.C. police has a bunch of footage and a bunch of these players were identified already. So all they have to do is, is basically go back and start looking to identify uh, who was there. So a lot of them are known already. The New York Times in 2016 even, we know the New York Times is not a very conservative publication, they did reporting about what they, it was on a, a Project Veritas recording, and this recording found two contractors with the Democratic National Committee who were helping to elect Hillary Clinton. In video, they were basically plotting to incite violence at Trump rallies to make Donald Trump look bad. This was happening in 2016. I spoke with someone who had been a D.C. police officer also, had heard, and he said he'd heard from intelligence uh, contacts that throughout the 2020 campaign as well, there was the same issue here. What have you heard from your contacts within Intel? Is this something that is a real issue? Well, it's a real issue. I mean, it, it, you know, that's what they do, uh, you know. And, and it's, it, I gotta be honest, it's not a big secret. If you go to the Antifa websites, if you go to the various internet websites, you'll see where they're promoting going to these events. You'll see where they say, wear MAGA hats, wear Trump uh, flags, all this stuff. They put it right out there. This isn't a big secret. But the, I think the key thing for this, uh, for this event is to identify the partners, assist the FBI in identifying who breached security, who was involved in the assaults on the police, um, and, and get them locked up. We do actually have a visual of, of one of these reported Antifa visuals saying that you should, quote, don't forget to disguise yourselves as patriots and Trump supporters, wear MAGA hats, USA flags, 3% ER insignias. A convincing police uniform is even better. This way, police and patriots responding to us won't know who their enemies are, and onlookers and the media will think there are Trump supporters rioting, so it's harder to turn popular opinion against us. 
have you seen this before? Is this something that's been verified? Well, this 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 comes right out of the handbook. I mean, this stuff is all over the internet. So it's, uh, you know, and, and that's what they do. It's no big secret. Nobody should be surprised by it. Um, but the, the, the problem is, you shouldn't be surprised by it, but you should be prepared for it. And in this case, it doesn't look like they will. To what extent do you think people who were, maybe they're just a peaceful, you know, they're coming in, let's say, somewhere from like Ohio, they, they came up and they're here, and they, they, maybe they didn't even know what was happening. Maybe they were behind, maybe they didn't know that it had been a breach. Do you think there was a difference between who was at the front lines breaking those windows, actually breaching illegally, compared to those who maybe later on were let in by Capitol Police because they didn't even know well, what you, had happened up front? Listen, if you, you look at the videos online, and there's dozens of them, if you look at the videos online, you can tell who the agitators are, who the bad guys are, and who the good guys are. You have a, a group of people walking through the, the uh, halls of the Capitol between two rope lines, um, very orderly, looking around, taking photos. Uh, obviously, they weren't instigators, they weren't agitators, they weren't anarchists. Um, and then you see other photos and other images and other videos where they are uh, extremely aggressive. So uh, there were definitely two groups of people. All right, um, Bernie Carrick, we gotta leave it right there. Are. Thank you so much. We'll be right back with Clarence Page. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey, good morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield here on this very somber day in our nation's history. And joining me to discuss all of this, he's a Pulitzer Prize winning columnist, Clarence Page. He's a scholar with 1776 Unites. Good morning, Clarence. Good morning. So Clarence, walk us through your vantage point because you've done a lot of work on reconciliation, coming together. The whole concept of 1776 Unites is to bring the country together. So after the disturbing scenes we saw yesterday, the violence of the mobs, what's this path forward? Because we saw similar things over the summer. We saw Antifa, we saw BLM, we saw people who were being shot and killed over the summer. David Dorn was defending his friend's shop, his pawn shop, and, and was, you know, killed by a mob. Um, we're just seeing this happening. Um, how can our country come together? Well, I like to think that we can come together around uh, a common values, common cause. Unfortunately, we've become very polarized in our politics and our cultural values here over the last, well, I go back to the 60s anyway, but it's become particularly uh, uh, egregious, I would say, according to the polls since the uh, mid 80s. Uh, and I think a lot of this has to do with the uh, changes in our uh, um, uh, cultural landscape, our, our uh, economic landscape, uh, and uh, we are, now beginning to understand it because I, I, I just, uh, well, I was uh, certainly struck as I wrote the 1776 project 
by uh, Donald Trump's victory in, uh, in uh, uh, 2016. I wasn't expecting it. Most Americans weren't expecting it. And I was uh, uh, so surprised that I went back to take a, a new look at uh, uh, my own roots in the, in the Midwest. Uh, and uh, that led to me uh, realizing that we've had a lot of people who were on the losing end of globalism, let's put it that way. And uh, a lot of changes that have caused, well, for example, I was a poke kid in a steel town in Ohio, uh, but I was able to uh, get a job at the steel mill during the summer and work my way through college back when a, uh, a tuition to Ohio University was only $770. Can you believe that, Gary? I mean, this is not, this is within my lifetime. It's not that long ago, but uh, it's just uh, sad that um, uh, a kid like I was, you know, a son of a factory worker and a cook, uh, would have a much tougher time uh, to get a college education now than back then. And that's why we have a growing gap now between those who have got some schooling beyond high school and those who don't. So, but in terms of the anger, so there, it just seems like the norms, we've seen a violation of, of norms over and over. Again, whether it's a fringe group who is, I mean, here in, in Washington, D.C., when there was anticipation that President Trump could win re-election, there was boarded up businesses. It, was, it had become normalized that businesses were expecting violence because of a political outcome. And now what we saw yesterday, it was the same thing, violence because of a political outcome. How have these norms become so fractured? Well, part of it, I, I'm one of those who blames the media first because I'm in the media, so I understand uh, how it operates. I, when, when I was a kid, we had three TV networks, really, that everybody watched. So, and, and their news was so much the same, you would think the same uh, uh, editor was uh, uh, producing all of them. Uh, now, uh, you can uh, tailor your news access to uh, whatever you already agree with. And, and that's made a big difference now with the, between uh, TV and radio and uh, internet. Uh, more and more people are segregating themselves into different cultural uh, uh, silos. Uh, and, and this is something that, is, it's not even news anymore, it's just something we've just come to accept. Uh, and uh, more and more now, uh, de demographics determine your destiny. Uh, more and more uh, where you live determines how you vote. Uh, and uh, if, if you don't vote like your neighbors, you move to another neighborhood. I mean, it's that sort of a thing. Daniel Patrick Moynihan famously said that everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but not to their own facts. Uh, well, nowadays you are. If you want to find a place that has facts that agree with yours, it's not that hard to do. But what it results in is fractured perceptions of political reality. And if you don't have a common ground to work from, you're going to have a hard time working together. And I, I think uh, I'm still an optimist. As much as things are, are, are rough now, I came through the 60s when we had about 400 riots on the streets from 65 to 69 when I was in, in college. And I thought the world was coming to an end then. But it didn't. Uh, this is a very resilient country. And uh, that's why it breaks my heart to see the Capitol building being invaded like it was for the first time since the War of 1812. Because our institutions are part of what keep us going in this country, and they provide a place to come and adjudicate our disputes and our political differences. And if we lose faith in that, then we've lost faith in America. That hasn't totally happened, and, and uh, I'm gonna push hard to prevent it from happening. 
Sure. Well, in, in terms of the institutions, you're absolutely right. The institutional trust has been going down, 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 especially you mentioned in the media. So Gallup just did their polling and they found that it was the lowest trust in media ever since they've ever been polling. And it's very pronounced among conservatives and Republicans. They're the ones who are driving this distrust in the media. So when you're talking about the mainstream media, I mean, I go to the White House, I'm in the DC press corps, I'm in those press briefings. Those are a bunch of liberal folks. The White House Correspondents Association, it is led by liberals. When you look at their banquet dinners, they always bring in a comedian who is a liberal. They do not, they are not, I, there was a conservative friend of mine from a conservative publication who tried to run for leadership within that body, totally rejected. So again, these conservatives and Republicans feel that they're being shut out of this major cultural institution of media. And so they go to alternatives. They feel like they have no other outcome or, or no other place to go. Yeah, well, uh, I, I know it's, a, it's an old complaint, uh, and uh, uh, for one thing, uh, I don't think people ever trusted the media as much as we like to think they did. Uh, now, uh, it's always there's always been a case of uh, what wasn't in the, in the Bible about uh, uh, killing the messenger for the message, uh, whatever. You know, that's sort of uh, 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 it's a psychological reflex that uh, if people don't like the news, they uh, will, as a primary reflex, uh, blame the media. Uh, but uh, the media culture, um, there's a, I, I've stopped arguing with people who say that, that people in the media are all that liberal. I think, uh, and I've been in the, in the business for 50 years since high school, and I think journalists, for, for one thing, we, we have a bias uh, in favor of a good story. And uh, if your bias goes beyond that, you don't belong in the so-called straight media or, or uh, mainstream media. I think that we, we need to uh, uh, talk about how our um, uh, um, uh, values, well, if, if you can tell what my political leanings are as a reporter, then I have not done my job. You, uh, but the story should read in such a way that you don't know what the politics of that reporter are. Now, I was a reporter for 20 years before I became an opinion writer. Now I want you to know what my political leanings are. Those uh, are two different jobs. Uh, we, uh, my newspaper, the Chicago Tribune, we've been in business since uh, 1847. Uh, and uh, we just recently started to label our opinion section uh, with, with little um, disclaimers uh, saying that this page is opinion, okay? This is not news, this is opinion. Because a lot of people these days don't know the difference. They pick up, uh, up a piece and they think, uh, they will, they will uh, send me an email uh, uh, saying, you're a biased reporter. And I'll write back and say, no, I'm a biased columnist. That's my job to-, to Right, to that's your job is to have an opinion. Well, Clarence, yeah, we, we appreciate yeah. your perspective. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Oh, my pleasure. We'll be right back with the Data Integrity Group. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's gonna be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Good morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield. I am joined by two data experts. They are with the Data Integrity Group here to talk about some statistical anomalies 
President Trump has said over and over that the statistical anomalies from his perspective are big red flags about this election. And joining me is Dave LeBou and Justin Mealy, who have a new report on this issue. Good morning. Good morning. So you guys have a new report. Give our viewers the big takeaways from this report. Well, the biggest takeaway is we found actual data, evidence, incontrovertible proof of election fraud. That's the most important thing. You know, so every everyone you saw last night, all these people were making these arguments. They they, sat, they saw no evidence of fraud. And in fact, we've actually spoken with some of their teams and tried to give them evidence of fraud, and then they potentially denied to hear it. So we have actual proof. This is, this is data that you don't have to have a warrant or subpoena for. This is public, publicly scraped data. This is the same data that the actual state certified their states with. So there's no difference between that. And we actually proved within that data that you cannot have those numbers unless there was actual fraud. So let's walk through some specific parts of the report. So let's put up something here for our viewers to take a look. So you're looking specifically here, it's your title here is called Isolation Forest Anomaly Detection Flagged Precincts. Put this in English for us. You're, you're an artificial intelligence application expert. What does this mean in plain English here for our viewers? What is, where is this data from? What does this exactly mean? Absolutely. What we're looking at here is basically a chart of some individual counties within Georgia. And each of the different six sections you see on the screen are the breakdown of the precincts within that particular county. And what this uh, is called the isolation for machine learning algorithm is part of the decision tree branch of uh, algorithmic processes, typically used for anomaly detection, commonly in banking, uh, credit card fraud, things like that. So, so it's sort of a mathematical way to isolate what is atypical of the broader group of the data you're looking at and uh, basically draw out the areas that um, requires sort of further or deeper look because of the anomalous nature of that particular data point. So these these we're looking at here on the on the screen of the bars, you can see a lot of the um, the bars are precincts to the left side of each breakdown are largely consistent. They have what we call just normal variance, expected variance. So they all are within a, uh, a range that's acceptable. And then there's that one highlighted squared out bar that will be the anomaly that was flagged within the particular algorithm. And the takeaway is that within the local geography, you know, sometimes with a very uh, precise uh, location, that these types of distributions are, um, in many cases, on paper look, they're outright fraud, but at the very least, they're highly suspicious and inconsistent with what you would expect based on the other voting patterns. In this case, you can see the top there, these are the percent going to Biden. These are percent going to Biden. And when you look at that precinct, it does not behave like any of the neighboring precincts to an extreme degree. And we're talking same local geography, you know? So almost you could say in some of them, it was across the street from another house, and you're basically having two completely different population groups across the street from each other. Yeah, it seems very, uh, very interesting. Thank you so much for highlighting this. We appreciate it. Dave LeBay and LeBou, apologies, and Justin Mealy. Thank you so much, Gary. And here on the couch with me, uh, Ben Berquam. So we had these data experts, again, highlighting more statistical anomalies from their perspective. 
But over and over, we saw with the courts, they, in very many cases, they were not interested in the evidence per se. It was more about questions of standing. Do you think that was driving a lot of the frustration where a lot of these people who went far beyond the bounds of what is legal and proper and good for democracy, that this was underpinning perhaps part of their frustration? Absolutely. I think, you know, when we look at the evidence, I was in Arizona the night of the election and for weeks afterwards. Uh, in Georgia, in Nevada, and you see this, the, the overwhelming, it's not just small amounts of evidence, overwhelming statistical uh, 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 affidavits coming from people, and the actual numbers now where we have the, the names of people, dead people voting, and uh, you know, uh, double votes, and people, illegals voting, and other people. When you have all of this information, and it is totally disregarded, and you're told that the reason that the courts won't hear it is standing, that the President of the United States does not have standing. When that when that is said, that to me is absolutely ludicrous. And to the people I think that are watching, uh, that are frustrated, they say, "Wait a second! If if our president doesn't have standing, he's the president of the United States, and there's this much evidence, and then they come back and say, "Well, there's no proof of widespread voter fraud." Well. When you're looking at that, you say, yeah, because you never actually examined the evidence. I mean, the whole point is there's evidence, and now we need to look at it and determine if that evidence points to proof of fraud. And that, I, I, get, I mean, absolutely, there's no question, it frustrates people to no end. So, Ben, what's the path forward? What can be, be done now? It's all over. President Trump has said this will be, he's leaving office. He's going to have an orderly, peaceful transition of power. This is all done. The Congress voted. Joe Biden will be our next president. What's next for the MAGA movement? I think it's just the beginning, honestly. It's, it, I was there at the beginning of the Tea Party, and this will be the Tea Party on steroids. The, the people have, feel like they have been so burned. Uh, their, MAGA is continuing. Make America Great Again is an idea. It's not just President Trump. He's the leader of that idea, but it is an idea, and it is going to continue into the future, for sure. All right. Uh, well, it's uh, such a... A difficult day. Benjamin, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much, Gary. And stay with us. We have a former D.C. police officer. He's an expert in security issues. He has a lot to say. He's been looking at this, speaking with his sources. Uh, Mr. Benjamin Manns is joining us here for a final look at the violence and what happened on Capitol Hill. We will be right back here on Just the News AM. Stay with us. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Good morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield, glad you're with us. We're gonna dig more into what happened with the violence on Capitol Hill. Joining me is a former DC police officer and a security expert, Mr. A. Benjamin Manis, to walk through all this. Good morning. Morning, how are you today? Doing well. So walk us through what you've heard from your contacts about how this happened. How did the security breach happen? What was the failures here? It was just, it seemed like it was multiple failures at multiple levels. Thank you, Carrie. Yes, there, there are two big issues to unpack here. Right now is why wasn't the combination of U.S. Capitol Police, Metropolitan Police, and U.S. Park Police ready to intervene uh, you know, when the crowd turned, when the mob mentality took over and things got ugly? Um, 
you know, you have to unpack that in a, in a, a look at our cultural approach to law enforcement in cities like Washington, D.C. Um, when I was on the job, the D.C. Police's Civil Disturbance Unit was the best in the nation, and it trained the nation. Um, the problem now that we're seeing is after a year of the George Floyd effect, a lot of our law enforcement is being told to ignore the tactics that they were uh, very good at. And the thing that made D.C. the best in this type of work was the fact that they didn't take sides, the fact that they had the best tactics, training, and equipment to corral crowds and keep them separate and get intelligence on them so that if something got out of hand, there wasn't the ability for it to get too out of hand. There would be teams to, to interdict in that. And um, you've seen from the videos of pretty much every major event in Washington over the last year, uh, that has been steadily depleted with a push nationally, you're seeing, for agencies to get more hands off as opposed to hands on. And this isn't a call to go back to Chicago in the 60s where they were just high sticking people in the head. But, you know, where, where you see officers not wearing their CDU equipment, um, the, high, the, the, the long sticks, the corral uh, shields, they weren't deployed and uh, they weren't ready to deal with that. And Bernie Carrick, who was on this program earlier, the former NYPD commissioner, he mentioned that in some cases there were videos of the Capitol Police actually opening the barricades and allowing people, almost in some ways encouraging them or corralling them to go into the building. But then on the flip side, you have a Capitol Hill police officer who reportedly shot and killed a woman, a protester who was there. Why was there such an inconsistent and disparate response here by the police? Well, I, so it may not be as inconsistent as it escalated and it escalated out of control. So let's address Capitol Police first. Capitol Police is a very well-equipped professional agency. The problem is they police a, a destination. And I'm sure threat assessments and intelligence reports showed that this protest was supposed to be peaceful. And if you were looking at the various groups, you know, Think about when we worked as a DC police, the presidential inaugural, and you know, US Park Police Capitol, Secret Service Uniform Division, and Metropolitan Police are out there basically in regular uniforms expecting a crowd that is peaceful and happy in, in a parade type atmosphere. Now, this could turn fast, and you have to be ready for it to turn. The Capitol Police, in prior pro Trump events, had one been used to the fact that. Um, the Trump crowd is not the violent, agitative, rioter crowd. So what they normally do after a rally is go in to look at the Capitol. It is an open building. If you submit to the security screening, like you do in pretty much any federal building, airport, et cetera, uh, you could go in and walk around and, and, and meet your representatives and tour the, the facilities. Uh, the problem is um, once the, the word that the the protest, you know, on the floor of the House wasn't going to ensue. And Vice President Pence decided uh, that basically, look, the miracle that a lot of those Trump supporters on the, the lawn were waiting for didn't happen. The crowd and the mob mentality took effect. And people were very outraged. Some would believe rightfully so. Um, you know, we all have our beliefs in politics, including a lot of those Capitol Police officers. But by the time it turned, they did not have the personnel deployed and equipped the way they should have. 
They should have anticipated something like this. They also should have anticipated counter protesters. Do you think that? Do you think part of why they weren't equipped was because of this idea that uh, Muriel Bowser and some folks here want to cut funding for police or defund police or make them less lethal of a force? On the city side, yes. Not on the federal side. So we're, we, you know, on the Metropolitan Police side, I had sources within the Capitol Police tell me that the support that they have been traditionally getting from Metropolitan over the last year wasn't as robust as it was when I was there in the early 2000s, you know, with the IMF, World Bank, some of the big protests that we used to get, which basically had the same type of protesters that Antifa became. They called them black bloc anarchists back then. Well, speaking uh, the of Antifa, uh, uh, the New York Times, uh, and you pointed this out, uh, reported on a video from Project Veritas showing that there were Democrats who were infiltrating Trump rallies to instigate and cause riots and fighting. Real quick, 30 seconds, what have you seen here so far to suggest? Is there a suggestion here that this happened here? Uh, they're going to have to investigate that. I don't know that either way, but I do know that the, the young lady who was unfortunately shot and killed uh, trying to breach the Speaker's Hall um, wasn't. She was an Air Force veteran. And a lot of the people there who were in weren't. So if there were Antifa in their midst, it's very possible. That is an MO they've used for about four years now. Um, the problem is, we, you know, as a conservative, as a Republican, I am outraged that people would get into that mob mentality. The question I have for my brethren in law enforcement and security is how they allowed it to get that way. You have to be prepared and, and, and be ready for anything. And I just don't see that here. I, I do see the DC. Right. We got to leave it right there. Benjamin Manis, thanks so much for joining us. We'll be right back. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Good morning and welcome back here to Just the News AM. I am Carrie Sheffield here on a somber day in our nation's capital, the day after a violent mob stormed Capitol Hill. Many conservatives say that this mob did not speak for them, did not represent them. Uh, the violence that happened was truly tragic and heartbreaking and the fact that a young woman lost her life, reportedly shot by a Capitol Hill police officer. Uh, this woman was reportedly a Trump supporter, according to her husband. And we've reported here at Just the News that she was reportedly an Air Force veteran as well. We know as well from uh, Fox 5's reporting here in the nation's capital, uh, a tweet from Lindsay Watts, a reporter there. She says that the family confirms the woman shot and killed at the Capitol is Ashley Babbitt. She owned a business in San Diego with her husband who did not come to D.C. I really don't know why she decided to do this, her mother-in-law tells me. Police have not confirmed circumstances of the shooting. 
this whole incident has been truly uh, a shot, uh, just a, a, an earthquake at the foundations of our country and our civic fabric. And we are uh, truly saddened by it here. And the fact that we had a loss of life uh, makes it that much more difficult. And our hearts, our thoughts and our prayers go out to the family here. Um, we hope that the uh, justice is served here in this case. Um, it is truly sad here, just the whole, the whole episode. Um, and we are praying for unity. We're praying for a path forward here where our country comes together um, and really has a more perfect union here as a country. Uh, thank you for joining us here on Real America's Voice. We are going to continue covering this process and continuing to see how do we recover from what happened yesterday. Thank you so much for joining us.